Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to do a topic that I actually am surprised that I haven't done, and I know I say that a lot, and it might be for a couple of reasons, but I'm going to talk today about how to help kids who have a fear of dying. It is so incredibly common for anxiety and OCD to glum on to the fear of dying because we're all afraid of dying on some level or we we don't want to die. And so it's just an easy target to attach to. And it looks a little different in anxiety than OCD. And so I'm going to go through those things as well. Before I get started, I want to let you know that I actually have a free PDF on 15 of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep. And I bring that up because the first thing we're going to talk about with dying is why. And I know that can sound kind of stupid. Like, I mean, isn't it obvious? Like nobody wants to die, but we're going to talk about the nuances of understanding the core fear around death. And it is different for each kid I've ever worked with. And the same thing is different for kids who are scared to sleep. And a lot of times parents just assume that It's just an issue. The child's afraid to sleep and we have to deal with it. And actually, you have to understand the core fear of what's driving that difficulty in sleep as well. And so I do have a free PDF, 15 of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep. You can get your free copy at natashadaniels.com slash sleep PDF. And I also want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and even outside of the U.S., And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to just see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. All right, so let's talk about this whole dying thing. So I think I've shied away from this topic. And even when I would get it in my practice, when it was anxiety-based, it was a bit of a tricky one just because everyone has different religious beliefs and different ideology. And You kind of have to go in the weeds a bit with that aspect of things. And so I've always just kind of shied away from it because it's different depending on on your belief system. But we're going to talk about it. I'm going to be brave and we're going to just cover it all regardless of what your belief system is. Different ways to approach it depending on your beliefs. And so that's only one small component of it. So let's dissect some core fears around it. And these are ones that I've seen in my practice. They're not um, exhaustive. It could be lots of other things as well, but these are like the main ones that I would see. So it would be a fear of pain. The idea of dying sounds very painful. I don't want to feel pain. And so I'm afraid of death. And we're going to talk about how this shows up differently in anxiety versus OCD, because how you approach it will actually be different as well. Um, The second one I wrote down is being alone. And so this could be I'm afraid of other people dying and I'll be all alone. Or it can be, I would be all alone. You know, I'd be away from you. And sometimes we we think they have a fear of dying because they're worried about their own death. And sometimes they're worried more about the people they love. They're worried about other people dying. And so we have to, we really have to dissect this. Often when it's the fear of other people dying, when when it's anxiety that tends to show up sometimes in separation anxiety when the predominant fear, because I talk about with separation anxiety, there's, there's often 
one dominant fear or predominant fear, and it's either a fear of they're not capable of doing something for themselves or keeping themselves safe, and so they need to be with you. Or conversely, they're worried about you not being able to take care of yourself. And it's an interesting dynamic, but we're not going to go into that today. That's a separation anxiety topic. I have a whole podcast on that, and you can check that out. But often with that, when it is the fear of you not you as the parent not being able to take care of yourself, so the child feels like they need to be near you to, you know, sometimes there's just, just this magical thinking, if I'm with my mom, nothing bad can happen to her. And so often there is that fear of dying attached to that. My mom will die when she's not with me. She will do something. That actually is, could fall under both categories because if you're dying or if you're dead and you can't protect them or help them. And so I guess it could work in both. But the fear of dying in general is a common anxiety theme with separation anxiety. But it is also a common theme in harm OCD. And so in harm OCD, I am worried about maybe accidentally doing something that harms the people I love and killing them accidentally or killing people in public, not in public, but people I don't know, strangers. And so they're, the core fear with harm OCD can be, and it it has many nuances as well, and we're not doing harm OCD. I have covered that topic as well. You can always go into my website, scroll all the way down, and I have a search button at atparentingsurvival.com, and you can type in like harm OCD or separation anxiety, and these episodes will pop up. So harm OCD, you know, can be paired pretty easily with the fear of other people dying. It can also actually be paired with the fear of them dying. And we're going to dive into this in a much deeper way, but I might accidentally kill myself or I might accidentally die by doing something that's going to put me in danger. And so the fear of dying is so much more complicated than we actually think it is because it can, it can impact someone with anxiety, but it can impact someone with OCD as well. You can also have general anxiety disorder. And one of your core fears is the fear of death or getting hurt. And so it really can run the gamut. You can also have someone with moral OCD and one of their core fears is, you know, whether they'll go to heaven or hell or what, whether they've disappointed God or being separated and being all alone from their family. Those are common core fears around moral OCD. So dying plays a really big part in that as well. So you can see where it really impacts a lot of different stuff. So moving on from being alone went on a tangent on that one. (laughs) I have many more though. The next one is upsetting. I've kind of touched on these now, upsetting God or going to hell. So that is, you know, a common scrupulosity OCD theme. Moral OCD can be religious and it can be non-religious depending on the belief system of the child and the family. And so it's about the fear of being a bad person, but what that means and what the really core fear is, is different for each kid. So another one is missing out. So if I'm dead, you guys are going to go on without me. Life is going to go on. I'll be forgotten. I've seen that one before. The next one is you won't be okay. You know, you're not going to be able to handle it if I'm dying or if I'm I'm dead. I don't know why I keep making it like a a verb. <laughs> but that can be that's not as common. I don't see, but like sometimes when there's kind of a when the child's parentified, there could be a fear of that. And the last one and the most thought of when we talk about the fear of dying is not knowing what will happen. And so the scariness of the unknown, and that's scary for all of us, you know, anything that's unknown in general is scary. Like when I'm going to a new city or country, I get a little scared because I'm like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if I'll be able to communicate with people. You know, it's when you have anxiety in general, 
The fear of the unknown is scary. We like predictability and routine. And with OCD, OCD is the doubting disease for a reason. It makes you doubt everything. It can hook on to dying as well. So it can show up obviously in a multitude of ways. And what happens with anxiety or OCD themes, because we're not talking about, if you're listening to my podcast, you're probably raising or treating a child with anxiety or OCD, because I'm very specific about what this podcast is about. And so I'm not talking about the general, a general fear of death with a child who doesn't have anxiety or OCD. I'm talking about a child with anxiety or OCD that has a fear of death attached to their anxiety or OCD. So it's probably not their only theme. It might be like one of their very core themes that little tentacles of other themes pop up on because you can have an anxiety, you can have separation anxiety and you're you're afraid of death. You can have, you're afraid that you're not really soaking life up. And so every moment isn't fully enjoyable and you're afraid that you're going to regret that when you die. You can be afraid of all the people that you love dying you can have emetophobia and fear like that you're going to throw up and you won't ever stop and you might die. So it can hit a lot of those areas. What often happens with anxiety is the person will avoid. And so if I have separation anxiety and my core fear is that you're going to die, that is probably one of the core fears. It's or get hurt or just not be with me or be available for me because sometimes it's like you're never going to come back, you know, and you've always come back. You're like, why do you think that? It's just because that's a very common separation anxiety upsetting thought. But the way that it shows up is typically through avoidance. And so I would avoid trying to be separated from you. If I have a metaphobia, I will try to avoid throwing up. If I have general anxiety or health anxiety, then I will, you know, maybe be very particular about what I'm eating or check my body. And then we're kind of starting to move into the OCD world. So I have to be careful with that. But if I have general anxiety, then I might just be very overly cautious and avoid anything that has any potential risk because I don't want to get out of my comfort zone and put myself at risk. When it comes to OCD, OCD is a bossier disorder. And so avoidance is a component to that. So if I have a metaphobia and I'm starting to avoid, you know, wearing green colors because it reminds me of throw up and, and not saying the word vomit because it causes too much discomfort. And, you know, so that then we're in the OCD world, but people can have a lot of compulsions around the fear of dying and it will look different depending on how their OCD is showing up. And so I can give you some examples, but it is, it's impossible to outline all the multitude of ways that an OCD theme can show up and what compulsions people will do. You have magical thinking where I need to do this to keep myself safe and I won't die or to keep my family safe and they won't die. So all sorts of behaviors that are compulsions that are just magical thinking, like I need to do this or something bad's going to happen. But in particular, death in this topic that we're talking about. Or if I have contamination OCD, but my core fear is if I touch this, I'm going to get sick and die. Sometimes we think they're worried about getting sick, but they're really not when you say, well, what's the worst part about getting sick? And some people will say, I just don't like the way that it will make me feel. Some people will say, I don't want to get other people sick. Those are different themes. Or they say, I'm afraid that I'll get sick and I'll die. Now, being afraid of sickness isn't the core fear. The core fear is dying. And so even with contamination OCD around germs or things they think are poison or chemicals, the core fear is death. So all those compulsions, whatever those look like, which could be avoidance, it could be hand-washing, it could be showering, it could be not touching chemicals, it could be all sorts of things. But 
just to give you a flavor of the ways that this very simple core fear can show up in such a complicated way. So the first step is really understanding your child's fear of death and how it is manifesting. What actions, behaviors, avoidance, compulsions are they doing in order to avoid dying? Right. And it goes above and beyond. You know, we all look both ways before we cross the street. You know, we do things to keep ourselves safe. That's great. But when you have an anxiety or OCD disorder, you're doing things way above and beyond what is typical. A lot of kids have a hard time going to sleep because they feel like if they go to sleep, they may never wake up because sleep is a mini death. We go unconscious. It's kind of weird if you think about it. Like, peace out for eight hours. (laughs) You know, like I am like shutting my entire system down. And I have to trust that I'll be okay and I'll wake up. That's kind of scary for a lot of kids. And so some kids are afraid that they may go to bed and they may never wake up and they'll die. And so it impacts their sleep and they have a whole sleep issue. That is actually one of the 15 of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep, PDF. And some kids are afraid to go to sleep because what if they wake up and you're dead? So again, it can go both ways. So your job initially is not to assume, but it's to be inquisitive and ask your kids in the ways that we've talked about how to ask kids questions in prior podcast episodes, explore this and see where it goes. So if you have a child who's afraid of dying and um, I'm trying to think like they have only anxiety, then you might say, what's the scare? I know. And you want to validate it, right? And this might actually be how you'd question a child with anxiety and OCD. But I always start with validating because I don't want to inadvertently make someone feel stupid about having a fear. And the way that we question kids or try to collect data inadvertently can sometimes make them feel small and stupid for having these thoughts. And so I always start off with validating. Like I know that death is can be a scary thing. I, I get that. But what's the scariest part about death when you think about it? So we're like helping to normalize it or helping to validate it. And then we're, we're asking to, for them to go deeper. You know, what's the scariest part about that? And if you have good communication with your child, they should be able to answer you. If you don't, then your first step is working on just open communication and trust. And that is a more general discussion. And I've done podcast episodes on that, how to build communication and trust, because that's where it starts. I actually think I have a workshop on that as well in my online school. My stomach is trying to talk to you. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear that in the mic. It's really loud. So I just ate lunch and I got stomach issues, but it is getting better. So I apologize if you're hearing grumbling in the background. So it's important to explore that. Some kids might say, well, I'm scared of death because I don't know what's going to happen after I die, or I'm scared you won't be there, or I'll be all by myself, or "Um, you guys are going to go on without me and you'll forget me. You'll find the core fear if your child communicates well and you ask the right questions. And so once you know that, then now we're going to talk about what you do with that. We're going to dive into that after the break. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know 
what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding your touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So we, in the first half of this episode, we talked about the many core fears that actually can center around the fear of dying. And we talked about the ways it can show up regard, you know, whether your child has anxiety or OCD, and even the, the ways it can show up within anxiety and OCD. Very different, right? But what do you do with that? Well, it, it is a little bit different if it's anxiety versus OCD. With OCD, we have to be very careful because it's great to educate our kids, but we don't want to over, over-educate them to the point where it actually just turns into reassurance because reassurance with OCD can often turn into a compulsion. I need to hear you say that again to feel relief. And so they'll develop compulsions to feel better about this. They might compulsively hug you or they might compulsively have to say a certain phrase so that you can say it back so that they won't die or that you won't die. And so we have to dress those all in the very same way that we address absolutely all OCD themes. We don't want to get hooked on OCD themes to the point where we, you know, misunderstand that the foundation of how you're going to approach OCD is always the same. We're going to move towards doing exposures, exposure response prevention, and we are going to build up our child's skills to slowly resist doing the compulsions. And I mean, that's just the heart of OCD work, regardless of theme. But it is good to do some psychoeducation, regardless of whether it's anxiety or OCD, at least one time. With anxiety, it might be a, a more in-depth conversation, a more frequent conversation, because 
your child's processing it. And with anxiety, you can talk to anxiety and you can help someone think of things in a different way and the fear can go down. I'll give you a totally weird example. I have, and I was talking about this in the AT parenting community, we were doing a Zoom call and I brought this up. So if you're if you're in the AT parenting community, you already heard me talk about this, but I have a fear of choking. I've always had a fear of choking. I have I have an anxiety disorder. I mean, I have social anxiety. I have generalized anxiety disorder. And even though it's under control, you live with it forever. It's always just right there waiting to kind of hook its teeth into something. It's teeth because that's a word. <laughs> and so the fear of choking is a big one for me. And and I even like kind of put it onto my kids because I was worried about them choking. So I'd always cut their food for, you know, until they're way too old. And I was like, what am I doing? But I can never take pills. And actually it's weird because my husband can never take pills either. We both were very similar in a lot of ways. And that I, somebody was sharing a choking, how to help kids with choking video, which by the way, I've never done on YouTube because I have that issue myself. And it's like, if I knew how to get over that fear, I wouldn't have it, you know? And so everyone's human, but somebody sent this YouTube training and it was like some doctor, I think it was a speech therapist. Like her job was to teach people how to get over their fears of choking. So I watched it to actually just share it and help other people. But it really helped me because, and it was the smallest little thing. She said, your throat is big. You have plenty of space for these pills. No matter how big the pill is, your the opening of your throat is bigger. And so don't worry about it. It's got plenty of space, which sounds so dumb because it's obvious, right? I mean, if you just look at the anatomy, but just that knowledge, that reframe, I had never thought about it. And I, just to hear it from like a doctor or somebody say like, your throat is big enough. I was like, it became a reminder for me every time because I wound up because my stomach, which is growling right now, I had to take these big horse pills because I don't have a gallbladder. And eventually I was like, I can't live like this. Like I can't live strapped to the bathroom. And so I recently went to the doctor because I went, I'm on a huge tangent and I apologize for that. I went to the doctor like 12 years ago, right after my son was born and my gallbladder was removed. And he made me feel really stupid. He's just like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a little IBS. Are you under stress? Here's a diet that to help. And and so I never went back to a doctor and I don't, I did not have a normal stomach. Like if I, the first meal that I ate in the morning, like I would be in the bathroom for an hour, it would be so painful. And then I'd be like really careful with everything I ate. It was scary to travel because you never knew when it was going to pop up. Very IBS related, but it turns out that it was my gallbladder, like not having a gallbladder. Um, this happens to some people, but anyway, I got a pill that is bigger than a horse pill. I mean, I've never seen a pill this big in my entire life. And when I just reminded myself, I'd take a deep breath and then I'd say to myself, because this is a pill I'm going to have to take for the rest of my life. And she wanted me to take it twice a day, but I actually moved it to once a day because it was doing too good of a job and there, nothing was ever going to happen again in my bowels. <laughs> so too much information probably, but I would just take a deep breath and I'd say, my throat is big enough. And it, re it relaxed me enough to trust the gulp to get the pills down. My whole point in telling you this, and I'm sorry, it was long-winded is that just that easy reframe of looking at the problem in a different way took my anxiety 90% away. I still get a little anxious, but then I remind myself, I've been doing this for like two, two weeks now and it's going well and your throat is big enough and look at your throat. And I'd look in the mirror. I'm like, look how big your throat is. You're good. And so what can we do for our kids to reframe dying in a way that brings some sort of aha clarity? 
Now, you can do that for your kids with OCD as well, but you still have to deal with the OCD part because OCD is irrational and it doesn't care about all your facts or your reframes or your help with cognitive distortions. It doesn't care. It's like, oh, you want to debate? You want to argue? You will never be able to tell me anything that's going to fully eradicate OCD. That's why you have to do exposures. But with anxiety, you can really make it very tiny just by reframing someone's thoughts. Now that's a skill and that takes some some effort, but if you are really tapping into the core fear and you are helping reframe that core fear, it can be huge. So let's talk about how to do that. The first thing that I want to say, and I'm going to be talking about it in anxiety terms, but you can certainly have this conversation with OCD as well. Just know that this is 30% of the work and that you don't want to have this conversation over and over again, or have your child say, well, tell me that part again in a compulsive way. So you just be careful with that. Some things though, that you don't want to do that may be intuitive for you to do is give them some false promises. There's nothing worse than saying you won't die or kids don't die. And that is the, that is the knee jerk reaction to say, like, you're not going to die. You know, you're fine. You're healthy. You're not going to die. Or kids don't die because the minute someone in their school dies, they will, you will completely unraveled anything and everything you said to them. And they will not trust you anymore because a kid died. Right. And so we have to be careful with having some caveats in what we say to our kids. So there's a couple of different things. The first one is, well, when we look at the list of what they're afraid of, we might approach the story a little bit differently, depending on what, what they're worried about. The majority of kids, to be honest, are going to be worrying about not knowing what will happen. That is the most common one that I've seen. I don't know what, I don't know what will happen when I die, but we have to address the other things as well. And this is the tricky part. And this is the part why I like to avoid this topic, <laughs> but I can't avoid it. It's a common one is it can get a bit religious depending on your belief system. And so if you're religious, you might approach this in a more religious sort of way because religion is also about the belief of what happens after you die. People find comfort in religion because it it helps answer and squash those fears more. And so it doesn't mean that if you're not religious that you can't help your child. It's just our conversation, your conversation with your child will look different depending on your belief system. And I don't care what your belief system is, but we have to speak from your belief system. And then that gets a little tricky. I feel like as a therapist who is generic, generic is completely the wrong word, non-denominational, not affiliated with faith. <laughs> you know, I'm not a faith-based therapist, you know, like there's they're separate from me. That makes it a bit of a challenge. But if your child is afraid of of death and you have a strong faith, regardless of whatever that may be. It might be that you have to open up a conversation with your child about that. Cause I've worked with a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to address the religious component first, or like the strong faith-based families out there. And then I'm going to talk about those that don't, you know, are not faith-based and that way we can kind of look at the different angles of it. But I do feel like with all the kids that I've worked with who are afraid of dying and we're afraid of upsetting God or going to hell or not knowing what will happen or being alone when they die, even though they had some education in their religion, there was not a lot of buy-in. It was very rote. It was like, I just go to, you know, I go to Sunday school or Saturday school or whatever it is. And I'm like, just learning this information, but it was not resonating. And a lot of our kids don't pick up on our faith if we have one 
and it doesn't become organic and intrinsic in them for a while. And some people, I've worked with a lot of religious people who really didn't have, who were terrified of death. And and even though they were quote unquote very religious, they did not have a connection of a belief of what would happen after I die or, or how that helped them. So that would be addressed in your discussion of what will happen. And then it's like maybe reading books that resonate with your belief system for your child. There's plenty of religious books out there on the topic of death. It might be talking to someone in, or like, it's hard because everyone has a different religion, but it might be talking to your rabbi or your pastor or your bishop or your whatever, you know, I want to be inclusive, whoever you have that can, you know, there's probably like maybe a youth leader or someone who works with the kids and can have a deeper conversation about that. What does that look like? The more there's belief, if you're a faith-based family, the less these things start to impact the child because they just need some concrete information of what they believe in. And, and then the stress goes a bit away. Now, when it is, when we're not talking about a faith-based and we're not talking about, and faith-based doesn't have to be religious. It could be a spirituality. You, maybe you're spiritual and you believe in a higher power or you believe in the universe and you believe in a source and you can talk to your kid in that direction. And there's plenty of books in that way as well, as far as what that looks like. And so sometimes just giving our kids order of like the purpose of life based on our belief system can be helpful. Now, there's plenty of families that have like no faith or spirituality attached, and that's fine. You can still work with that. I think it's teaching kids that, and this is good for all kids, but there's a cycle of life. And and this is still a conversation I would have regardless of whether someone was like faith-oriented or not, is there is a cycle of life. And so we all will die. And I'm going to give you some scripting of how to talk about this with your kids, or at least how I talk about it with my child. And you take what you want from this episode and do what you want. But I think it can be helpful to say there is a cycle of life. And, you know, we are all born and we all die. And we all agree on that. That's probably one the one thing in this world that we all agree on is that we come and then we go. And it's the only guarantee in life. But we can spend our entire life worrying about when the our life is going to end and then rob ourselves of the enjoyment of being here in the here and now, right? And so it's really helping them see not about the end, but about the current, about the life they're leading, leaving, le- leading, oh my gosh, right now. That's, that is a helpful shift to say, when you have those thoughts, think, yes, we are all going to die. And one thing that I do with my daughter, and this is, you know, she had, I don't think she had the fear of dying until her dad suddenly died. And so that was more of a trauma-based thing. And I actually should mention that as well, that sometimes it's not anxiety or OCD. Sometimes there's a trauma or a loss that triggers this with sensitive kids or kids that are anxious. That trauma is going to really set off a series of of thoughts and new themes for them typically, or, or very often. My son didn't develop any new OCD themes or anxieties after his dad passed away, but my daughter did. I'm trying to remember. I I don't remember that being one of her issues before. And so sometimes it's situational, like someone really important in their life just died. And the more sudden and unpredictable it was, the worse the fear of dying can be because it's just they didn't prepare for it. And when it's someone who's young or someone who's healthy, whether it's a child or a dad in his 40s, that that is enough to rock their stability to say, 
I thought only old people die. And here's, here's my dad who's in his forties. So that's why we have to be careful with how we say things because you can, you can be undermined really easily by life because people do die. Kids die. And I hate that, but it's true. And so what I say to my daughter is she'll say, mom, this normally happens at bedtime. And this is going to sound very untherapeutic, but it has helped. She'll say, I'm afraid of dying. And I'll say, we're all going to die. And she goes, oh, it doesn't help. I don't like that. And she doesn't say that anymore because I say it anytime she says it, we're all going to die. The likelihood of you dying right now is super, super tiny. You're 11, you're healthy, you don't have any medical issues. She's got celiac, but people live with celiac that doesn't kill you. you know. And so the likelihood of you dying right now is very, very, very tiny. You know, Kids don't die often. And when they do, it's a super big tragedy because it's just so rare. So again, you see what I'm doing is like, I am not sugarcoating it and saying, you are going to be great. You're not going to die. Saying you're not going to die, it almost devalues what you're saying because uh, we're all going to die. <laughs> you know, It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It's just the cycle of life, right? And the more we destigmatize it by not making it this huge thing in the moment, the better. And so I do say to her, the likelihood of you dying is very small. And I said, even what happened to your dad is so unusual and not common. That's why he had a huge funeral. That's why people were so, so sad. Not that it's not sad when someone dies at any age, but it was tragic. And it was tragic because it wasn't supposed to happen like that. But it did because life can happen that way. But that's not very common. And so I am sprinkling some reassurance with reality. And I find that that is really the way to go because kids will appreciate that and they will be able to trust what you're saying because they know that that sounds more solid. The hard part is, I forgot what I was going to say, what's hard about that. (laughs) It can be tempting to want to just reassure them. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It's like so scary. I just like lose my memory as I'm talking. But when it's OCD and you are saying things like that, when you're reassuring them, it can turn into a compulsion. Like, tell me again that I'm not going to die. Or before I go to bed, just let me know that I'm going to be okay and I'm going to wake up. Or even with my daughter, it was very subtle and I didn't catch it until she actually was talking about it. It was so funny or like sad. She was talking about it in the support group call, our Zoom support group call that I run for the AT parenting community. And she was telling the other kids in there that we were talking about, I think, compulsions that involve your family. And so the kids were talking about things that their their parents have to do to make their OCD happy. And she was like, yeah, every night I have to say, see you in the morning. And my mom has to say, see you in the morning. And I'm like, that's a compulsion. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was a compulsion. And so we had to stop that. And eventually, because we, you know, my kids are super brave and they get, they get OCD. And so we wound up saying, um, won't see you in the morning. And it actually was really hard for me too, because my husband had just died when this started, it was like still really raw, maybe six months later. I don't know. But I remember us doing that exposure and her saying, I won't see you in the morning. And I would reply, I won't see you in the morning. I would shut her door and I would feel panicky. Like it was very unsettling for both of us, which is understandable. But she very rarely has that problem anymore um, unless she has a pain. So if she's not feeling well, she'll want to sleep with me. And I do allow that. (laughs) Full disclosure. You know, and part of it is she has just such chronic bad stomach pain. 
And I, I feel like she just wants to be close to me when she's not feeling well. And I felt like, you know, that's kind of reasonable. And she doesn't, it doesn't ever balloon out of control because she knows we've talked about, like, you don't want to have to depend on sleeping in my bed. It's not something that you're going to want to go to college with, you know? And so she, she knows, and she has a lot of awareness of like, I feel better. I should go back to my bed or I don't, or I'll offer it sometimes when she's like doubled up cramping and I'll say, do you want to sleep in my room? And she'll say, no, no, I think I'll be okay. So if I saw it turning into a slippery slope, then we would have to nip it in the bud, but there's gray in everything, right? There's gray in all of this. So I think it can be helpful to have these discussions. Books can be very helpful. There are a lot of good books on dying. And the one that I love the best as far as someone not experiencing dying, but they're afraid of dying and you're not like faith oriented. And we're just talking about the cycle of life is uh, the fall of Freddie the leaf. And it's kind of a sad book to be honest, but it is just a really great book for processing the cycle of life that it's part of what, what makes life beautiful. You know, there's stages of life. And so, um, the fall of, of Freddie, the leaf is a, um, it's a metaphor about a leaf and the stages of, of the leaf's life. You know, it's like thriving and it's green and then it changes colors and then eventually it falls to the ground and then it nurtures the roots for another leaf to fall. And so I think having a discussion about that is important. And then once we feel like our kids maybe have that, if we're doing a faith discussion, you know, they're starting to feel comfortable or finding comfort in the belief system that you have. If we're doing a non-faith-based approach, they're getting that it's a cycle of life and it's natural and it's normal and they're in the beginning parts of the cycle of life and then for either one the ultimate focus is i want to live now i don't want to live in my what ifs yes we are all going to die right and most of us will live a very long hopefully happy life and we can ruin that or you have to be careful with your language we can we can make it harder or less enjoyable if we're not soaking up life. And you have to be careful with this because I have worked with kids who then become obsessed with, or not then, but do have a history of being obsessed with living life to its fullest. And it's like, I'm not fully appreciating this moment or not fully appreciating this vacation. And that can get a bit anxiety producing in and of itself. And then they can be like analyzing how they're feeling all the time. Are they fully enjoying this? It can actually turn into more of an OCD thing. So we have to be careful with our language. But it's it's reminding them when they catch these thoughts, you know, like, oh gosh, what if that makes me die? Or, oh my gosh, I just have this thought all of a sudden that I'm going to die. It's caretaking your thoughts and saying, but what am I doing right now? Oh, there's my dog and she's alive right now. Um, a lot of kids I've worked with are so afraid of their dogs dying or their pets dying, you know, like just, they're so worried about just dying in general. And I get it. Because when my husband died, I was really worried about my kids dying. I was worried about my dog dying. Um, and my brain still wants to go there sometimes, which is understandable considering what happened to us. But I always, and especially my dog, I know that sounds really stupid. I know my kids are going to be, knock on wood, hopefully okay. But I know my dog is going to die. My dog is going to die because her lifespan is much shorter than mine, hopefully. you know. And so I know that she has a pretty soon expiration date. She is six or seven. She was a rescue dog, so we're not exactly sure. And she's a chihuahua, so she's going to live a little bit longer, hopefully. But I know that there'll be, there'll be many chapters in my life where she's not with me. And she's become kind of my therapy dog, you know, now that I'm by myself. You know, she, it's nice to have her in my bed when I'm sleeping. So when I get those thoughts and say, oh my gosh, my dog is going to die. 
I think she's vibrant and alive right now in front of me. And so we can teach our kids on a kid level to do that as well, that our brain um, and whatever you call it, you know, your O cloud or your worry cloud or whatever personification, if you've done that, that can help to say, you know, my O cloud is like 80, 80 years into the future possibly. And I just want to soak up the beauty of this moment. So getting kids to realize, oh, I just fell into a rabbit hole. And I don't want to be in this rabbit hole because it is bright and sunny outside and I am stuck in this rabbit hole and it's dark in here and I'm not hanging out with anyone. I'm just miserable. And so use analogies. I've used a couple analogies. So I like that one, you know, like you got, you fell into a rabbit hole. Mr. O kind of pushed you into a rabbit hole or whatever language you're going to use. And we don't want to live in that rabbit hole. So how do we live? How do we get out of the rabbit hole? We pull ourselves back into the present. You can actually go through a portal, you know, use some fun language with kids. You can go through a portal and get out just by thinking a different thought. Now be careful with OCD. <laughs> I probably wouldn't use that language if my child had OCD just because it could be magical thinking and giving too much weight to their thoughts. And so that it can get tricky with that. But I would say when you have that thought, this is for anxiety really around death. But OCD, we have to be careful because when you have to cancel things out or you have to neutralize a thought by saying something else, it can get tricky. That can be very compulsive. So we have to be careful with the difference between anxiety and OCD. But with anxiety, it's like pull yourself out by saying, what am I doing right now? It doesn't have to be that you're doing something really exciting, but what is around you? Oh, your mom and dad are laughing or you're smelling some good food or you're all cozy in your room. So teaching them how to bring in the gratitude of now can be really, really helpful. I don't think we think about doing that often when it comes to the fear of death. We just address the fear of death, whether we're talking about faith or we're talking about just cycle of life. And a lot of times over reassurance that they're not going to die and they're fine and they're safe. You're good. You're safe. And we don't retrain the brain to pull themselves out of the what ifs and into the present. And so mindfulness and being aware of your thoughts can be really, really helpful for anxious kids. And I do that myself and I find it really helpful because I, I really don't go down too far deep into that rabbit hole before I'm like, my dog is right in front of me or my kids are right in front of me, you know, and I want to soak them up for where they are right now. I don't want to miss this. They're not going to be 11 forever and 13 and 19, you know, they're constantly changing. So I hope that that helped a little bit. It, I know it's a, it's a tricky topic because we're all going to approach it a little differently based on our culture, based on our, our belief systems, and based on our child's core fears. But hopefully that gives you some ideas. Um, I try to address all of them in different ways so that you can help your child. And then the ultimate thing is, besides getting them to live in the moment, is to pull back the behaviors that are fueling that. So the avoidance or the compulsions that are fueling that is really key. And one of the other things I say to my daughter is we don't, we don't get control. And so these are very counterintuitive discussions that don't sound very warm and fuzzy, but they're actually very helpful. And I will say, we don't get to control much in life. Anxiety and OCD can tell us that we can control a whole bunch. And that's not true. We don't get control. You can play it safe and, you know, make sure that you don't do anything dangerous or you don't eat anything dangerous or, you know, everything you do, and you can just trip and fall and die. You know, like when it's your time, it's your time. Like anxiety and OCD makes us overprotective to the point where it it debilitates our ability to function 
and to enjoy life. And so the only thing it's doing is taking things away from you because you're so worried about losing your life that you are not living your life. And we don't want that. So hopefully it gives you some language to use if it resonates with you. If it doesn't, you don't have to use it. But I hope that that you found that helpful. I hope you're enjoying my podcast in general. And if you are, don't forget to leave, uh, just hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra seconds and you want to write a review, you know I greatly appreciate you. And to show my appreciation, I always like to end the show reading one of them if there's a new one that I can find. And there is one. I do want to thank Alicia for writing uh, a review. She wrote, gratitude, Natasha, thank you for all the time and effort you put into these podcasts, YouTube videos, and classes. Your work has helped my family better understand OCD. My daughter related to other children in the online crushing OCD course for kids, and that gave her hope and relief that she's not alone. Your podcast helped me in so many ways, whether to give guidance on how to pull back accommodations or providing empathy on this journey. I'm so glad to have these resources. You've been a true blessing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write that review. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad she liked the crushing OCD course for kids and teens. I love that I had 12 other kids and teens helping me teach that. It was such a cool project. And I do feel like it's so much more powerful because it helps normalize that, right? It just helps normalize all that experience. So I'm glad that she liked it. Maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. Don't forget to pick up your PDF, download your PDF. You're not going to really pick it up. And you can find that free PDF that I talked about at the beginning of the show, 15 of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep at natashadaniels.com slash sleep PDF. And I will be back next week for a new topic. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 